take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 as we continue our theme of rejoicing in Christ. As I closed last Sunday, I challenged you to examine your heart this week by asking this question. Do I see my trying circumstances as a way to progress the gospel or as an opportunity to proclaim Christ or to trust in the purposes of God? Paul did, and so can we. This is where true joy and contentment are found, as you see from Paul's example here in this portion of Scripture. Now, our focus this morning is going to be on verses 22 to 26, but I want to read this whole text, beginning with verse 12 through 26. So bear with me, follow as I read. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better yet. To remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. In this whole passage, the apostle was addressing the concern of the Philippian believers about his welfare in prison. And actually, the word imprisonment there in this passage of Scripture is chains. I've told you before that Paul at this time was in rented quarters. He had a little bit of freedom, but he was chained to a guard 24 hours a day. Now, if you were in this situation, what would you be telling people? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, Paul shared his joy over what God was doing, even though there was possible death in the horizon. I love what he says there in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He doesn't mention joy here, but it just bleeds out of what he's saying. 
Then in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Then he says there in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Wow. What an attitude. And it's this attitude which is my prayer for you and myself. And so I'm asking God that you have the mindset of the apostle because that is what is required here. A daily focus on the eternal and being content in God's will. You know, when that is present, there is a joy beyond all comprehension. Truly, there is. And so to be an encouragement to you in that way, I'm having you consider with me three evidences, three evidences of joy in trying times from this passage. So that you might, on the one hand, be inspired. Be inspired by Paul's example. And then to trust the Lord for that single-mindedness of Paul. No matter what you are facing. And you know, these evidences are embedded in the very question I challenged you with last week as I ended the message and then as I began this message today. And the first evidence that we looked at was from verses 12 to 14. You have it there in your notes. Though Paul was experiencing imprisonment, he rejoiced at the progress of the gospel. He rejoiced at the progress of the gospel. You see, through his chains, he had an opportunity to evangelize the soldiers and also Caesar's household, which led to many of them getting saved, right? Yes. If you look at the end of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You see, he saw the providence of God in all of this. And it brought him joy. And then another evidence of joy we considered was in verses 15 through 18. Though Paul was dealing with oppressors, critics, he rejoiced in the proclamation of Christ. He spoke of that three different times there in those verses. And unfortunately, some of those oppressors, those critics, were his believing brethren. Their motives, their attitude, their behavior at times was carnal. No doubt about it. And I think at some point in time, Paul needed to address that. But their orthodoxy was right. They did preach Christ. And so the apostle was able to look beyond himself and the situation. You know, only his maturity in Christ helped him to do that. And he was able to see Christ honored through the lifting up his name. He knew that God would somehow use all of that in reaching Rome, and it brought him joy. And you know, God's word is always honored when it's preached. Even though the vessel is not always what they should be. Yeah, we saw that. I mentioned that last week with Jonah. 
God used him. And he did preach the word, and people repented. But at the end of it all, he goes up on top of a hill, and he's angry at God. His heart's not in the right place, yet God used him. God always honors his word. And I think that's what Paul understood here. Regardless of the vessel, yes, they're believers, but they're bringing forth the word. They're proclaiming Christ. And in this I rejoice. Now, if you missed any of the last two messages, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them on our website. There was much more that was said in regards to these evidences of joy that I think you might find thought-provoking and challenging. So please go back and listen to them if you missed any of them. This brings us to the last evidence of joy, which we did start out last week in verses 19 through 26. Do you remember what it was? Though Paul suffered hardship, he rejoiced in the purposes of God. He rejoiced in the purposes of God. As the apostle said there in verse 18, I rejoice. What was he rejoicing about at present? That Christ was proclaimed. But then he quickly followed it up with, Yes, and I will rejoice. That is with what God had planned for him in the very next near future. As he pointed out in this section of scripture. And we've already considered one of those purposes, didn't we? In verses 19 through 21. It was Paul's deliverance. He says right there at the beginning of verse 19. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. To what was he referring? That was the question that I posed last week. Well, it had to be something that would happen whether Paul lived or died. Because he's talking about that in the very context. Verses 20 and 21. Well, most commentators believe that he was speaking about his vindication. That is, being delivered or kept from disgracing Christ and the gospel through his trial. And then standing before the Lord one day unashamed. But then there are a couple of men who think that he was talking about his salvation. Not his salvation from sin, but the working out of his salvation. You see the word that's been translated there, deliverance, comes from the Greek word soteria. Which most often is translated salvation. In fact, in the King James Version... It is translated salvation. So what you see here is that Paul may have been talking about the working out of his salvation and the ultimate hope of being like Christ when he stood before him. Even in the context, he speaks about this. 1-6, what does he say? For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Not only for the Philippians, but also for him. He says in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, So then, my beloved, 
just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my presence. Work out your salvation, soteria, with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not only for them, but for him too. No matter what circumstances he was encountering. And the following phrases there in the rest of verse 19 all the way through verse 21 can support either position, one of vindication or one of the working out of salvation. And in some ways, I think they both overlap. But I tend to lean toward the latter, that of salvation. That does not make me right <laughs> and others wrong or others right and I'm wrong. But you know, in the end, I'm not sure it really matters. Because in God's purposes, the hardships that Paul faced, that you and I face on a day-by-day basis, work out for good in God's glory. Do they not? I mean, we were singing about that all this morning. Did we just give lip service to that? Hopefully that's coming from our hearts. Indeed, they are meant to strengthen your testimony before the world or to work out your salvation so that you are prepared to stand before the Lord unashamed. Indeed, that's a desire for my own heart. It's my desire for you. I trust it's your desire for your own life. And so, does that bring joy to you, beloved? Does it? Should. Just to think about that. It should if you are content with his will for your life. James 1 2. I think some of us have that memorized, don't we? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. I mean, it's not like we are to say, okay, great, this is fantastic. Bring on another one. <laughs> no, it's not like that at all. But they, I, I appreciate the understanding there in that portion of Scripture because he goes on. He says, because the trying of your faith does what? It works out patience. It's about your growth in the Lord. That's why there's joy. And that stands above any and everything else that we might be going through. In fact, if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me over to 1 Peter, holding your space here. 1 Peter. This is a great place to go to because even these believers to whom, Paul, uh, to whom Peter was writing were encountering suffering. A suffering that they didn't know was going to end. And this is what it says in 1 Peter 1, beginning with verse 3 through verse 7. This is the mindset that Peter wanted for these believers. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishable, even though tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. So one purpose of all that the apostle was going through was his deliverance. We talked about that last week. This brings us now to another purpose that we find there in verses 22 to 26. And I want to read that again. Just follow with me. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. What is emphasized in those verses? It's this, Paul's discipleship of the church. He has this in his mind's eye, the discipleship of the church. That's captured together both in the first part of verse 22 and then also beginning with the end of verse 24 all the way through verse 26. Now in this portion of Scripture, Paul was simply expressing more fully his thought process there of verse 21. What does he say in verse 21? Very simply, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's how Paul viewed living and dying. In a succinct statement. That was his purpose. Now what he would choose. Between the two. He could not say. Because he was committed. To whatever God's will was. But that had not been revealed to him. And that's what he means there. At the end of verse 22. I do not know which to choose. Or better yet. What I will choose. I cannot make known. He didn't know the will of God in regards to it. But he was committed to the will of God in his heart, whatever that may be. Here's a quick question, beloved. Is God's will what you are committed to no matter what? (laughs) Is God's will what you are committed to no matter what? Now, we can say yes with our list, but is that so? With your heart? That's how Paul felt. Both living and dying had strong attractions for the apostle. You can see that by what he said there in verses 23 and 24. He says, I am hard pressed from both directions, I'm hemmed in. The picture there is of a person going through a gorge with rock cliffs on both sides. He's hemmed in by both desires. Yes, his desire was to die because that would mean what? Being in the very presence of Christ and like him. And in fact, as you go on here in Philippians, he talks about that in Philippians chapter 3. Even in 2 Corinthians 5.8, as we read this morning, 
Paul said, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. Indeed, that is very much better. I mean, the superlatives that he uses here in the Greeks is just one upon the other. He couldn't say enough good about that. What joy, if that was God's will. But, in comparison to that, it was more necessary, as he says there in verse 24, to live on in the flesh. Why? For the sake of the brethren and their discipleship. Paul was convinced of this, and therefore it was his personal belief that this would be the outcome and God's purpose for him in the near future. It's possible that while he was going through trial, that there may have been some indications in that direction. But we don't know that. But indeed, it was his personal belief, based on the fact that it's more necessary at this present time, your discipleship, and for your sake, it's more necessary for me to remain on in the flesh. But you know the prospect of this also brought joy to his heart? You bet. (laughs) Again, he was hemmed in on both sides. So generally speaking, there in verse 22, Paul said, this would mean, that is, remaining on in the flesh, fruitful labor for me, or work that would result in spiritual fruit. What was he talking about there? Well, I think on one hand, he was referring to the salvation of souls. Yes. I mean, given the context here, he would continue doing what he was presently doing while he was in chains. (laughs) And that is proclaiming Christ, sharing the gospel, and then trusting the Lord to add converts to his church. You know, I find it quite interesting. On one hand, you find Paul here in Rome. And he's writing to the Philippians about this very thing. And yet before he came to Rome, while he was in Corinth, he wrote in, his, in the book of Romans there, chapter 1, verse 13, these words. This is before he came. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I don't know if he realized at that time that it would be while he was in prison. (laughs) But then even afterward, as he could see beyond his circumstances and living on, it was to bring forth fruit, spiritual fruit. And I believe he, first of all, meant by way of salvation, converts being saved and added to the church. He, He just was enraptured by this thought. But on the other hand, the apostle also was speaking, I too believe, about the sanctification of souls. Because in verse 25, he called it what? Your progress and joy in the faith. It says there, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He would be about helping them to grow And the church at large to grow in the truth of Christ where there is true joy. This past week as I was thinking about that, 
I couldn't help but turn to 1 Thessalonians. In fact, take your Bibles, holding your space here to 1 Thessalonians 1. We've been through 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Maybe that's why I was drawn to these passages in 1 Thessalonians. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 7. Notice what he said to that church, which was also in Macedonia, along with Philippi. But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you, into his own kingdom and glory. Now turn with me over to chapter 3. Still continues this thought. I won't read all of verses 1 to 10, but look with me at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3. He says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. You see, Paul, as he thought about spiritual fruit in the flesh, as he ministered to the church, it was about souls being saved, souls being sanctified in the Lord. That's what he would be about. And it brought him great joy. And then he stated there in verse 26 of Philippians 1, the purpose of it all. So that your proud confidence in me or your cause for glorying in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. What was he saying there? You see, the possibility of Paul being in their presence and discipling them would be a great cause of glory in Christ Jesus. Yeah, the glory of God. It would be their joy. And you know, beloved, I trust you see the same in others discipling you, that it is a great cause of glory in Christ Jesus. People caring about you, your growth in the Lord, investing their very lives into you as Paul did the saints. That's a cause of glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, like Paul, as you see your life here on this earth, is it about being involved in making and growing disciples for the church? Is that what it's about? Isn't this one of the pillars of this church? I mean, look on the front of your bulletin. Yeah, there's a picture of the church, and it's pillars there. There's five of them. One of them is what? Discipleship. It's what Paul was about. That's what we should be about, right? 
Yes. I mean, think of what Jesus said. These are some of his last words before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. You know them. All power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These were the words of Jesus. He left to his disciples and to us by extension. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter 1. This passage of scripture is on my wall as a reminder to me. As I'm here on this earth, my purpose is about the discipleship of God's church. What does it say there? Verses 28 and 29. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Indeed, beloved, the hardships of life can be a way to fulfill this purpose. That's how Paul saw it. He looked beyond his temporal situation to the eternal. His maturity in Christ helped him. But as you grow in the Lord, it will help you too. You'll have a joy that's, that you cannot comprehend. I appreciate this little story entitled Pulled in Two Directions by Dennis DeHaan of the Daily Bread. He wrote, As Christians, we are pulled in two directions. We all want to go to heaven, but this life also holds great appeal. We are like the youngster in Sunday school who listened intently while the teacher told about the beauties of heaven. She concluded by saying, Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Every hand shot up immediately except one. Why don't you want to go to heaven, Johnny? Well, he replied, Mom just baked an apple pie for dinner. Yeah, that would have been me, because I like apple pie. And then Dahan went on to say this. Now, we don't need to feel guilty for having a strong desire to enjoy life. God has given us life to enjoy Marriage, a family, a fulfilling job, travel, recreation, these all have legitimate appeal. But if the delights of our earthly home are so attractive that we lose sight of God's purpose for putting us here, something's wrong. And it is. Something's wrong. And so in the arena that God has providentially placed you in, all of us, God has placed us into certain situations, different places. But you have an arena that God has providentially placed you in. May you be faithful in the work of discipleship for Christ's church. Beloved, I trust that as you leave here today, you have been inspired by the single-mindedness of Paul. That your purpose is is the apostle's purpose. And what is that? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he explains it all in the passage we just walked through. You see, that's real joy. In fact, as you leave here, I want you to ask yourself this question. And it may be you might have to be asking yourself this question all week long. 
as you do some self-examination, it's simply this. For me to live is what? And to die is what? Ask yourself that question. If it's anything but Christ, then you need to repent. And you need to refocus your heart on the three evidences of true joy as we observed over the last three weeks. Though Paul faced hardships, he rejoiced in the progress of the gospel, the proclamation of Christ, and the purposes of God through all of that. And you can too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning and just these simple things that we looked at. I trust that, God, your people will leave here today asking the question, for me to live is what? And to die is what? As we put ourselves on the spot, we might even be surprised at what we find our hearts saying what our focus is. God, by your grace, change that focus so that your people may know true joy, joy as you have intended it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.